This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. We doing all right? Sweet, solid, solid two of us. Two of us are good. Um, Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to that. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Uh, right after college, um, I, I worked at Firestone for a while, thus the, uh, the uniform. Um, and and I, I always thought that, that chicks dig a guy in a uniform, but apparently my wife hates this shirt. Um, and she's like, don't ever wear it again, ever. Uh, but I love it. I just love it. And so I did. I worked at Firestone for a bit. Um, and so I've had multiple people be like, hey, can you work on my car? No, I can't because I got fired before I, I learned much about auto care. Um, all I could do was change tires and change an oil. Um, and I know everybody's wondering, like, oh, no, what'd you do? Like, I didn't tighten an oil plug tight enough and all the oil leaked out of a truck. It's no big deal. It's fine. But apparently that's a one strike and you're out thing um, because as Casey pointed out, like, oil, it's kind of their thing. Like you, you expect to get a proper oil change at, at Firestone and, and, I, and I failed there. So I showed, in one, I showed up one day and they're like, hey, you can go home now. I was like, okay, great. Um, but it's okay. Um, but what, what happened with this job, as you probably have with your job, right, is you, you interview for this job and then a job offer is extended, right? And, and you can refuse that job offer. You know, a job offer is given and you can say, hey, thanks, but no thanks, I'm good. Or like, I don't like what this job asks me to do, so I'm going to do something else or, or whatever. But, but once you accept the job, the expectation then is that you will do the job, right? You will, you will perform the duties that go along with that job. So for me, when I got hired, you start out changing tires and changing oils. And so the expectation was that when a car would come in that would need an oil change, they'd print a ticket, hang the ticket, and then, hey, I'm up. Like, so then I go change the oil. That's the expectation. Car comes in, they're like, hey, we need an oil change. They hang the ticket. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Um, I'm not going to have a job anymore, right? That, that makes sense. You, you understand that with, with your jobs or school, right? Like, you got to go to school, and the expectations are, here's your assignments. Um, and then if you don't do those assignments... You don't do so well in class, right? Like you fail. There's, there's expectations for the roles that we step into. And the reality is that when we say yes to following Jesus, we are saying yes to dying to ourself and to living and following him. Right? We understand that concept when it comes to our jobs or to our families or to our schools, right? Like, yes, I will marry you. That means a, B, and C, right? Yes, I will take this job. That means A, B, and C. The same is true with Jesus. Yes, I trust you and surrender to you. Okay, therefore, that means this. If we don't want this, then we don't follow Jesus. The choice is there. Like, we have to embrace that reality. If we want to follow Jesus, okay, it means come and die to yourself and follow him. He says that multiple times in the Gospels. If we don't want to die to our own way, then we don't follow Jesus. It, it's, that, it's that simple. If we want to live our way, then we can't, fo we can't follow him. Th those two don't work together. Today, what we'll see in Mark 6 is the disciples living that out. That to follow Jesus is to be called by Jesus, 
is to be sent by Jesus and then to be empowered by Jesus to do what he sends us out to do. And if we are gonna be a Christian, then our answer is yes. That's the expectation. Yes, God, I will follow, yes. And, and when we don't, when we mess up, that we will repent, we will confess that we went our own way, and we will return. Right, that, that's the, the expectation. And so the question that I think God is asking us, it's what I really sensed last week when Jesus was in Nazareth, is will we trust him and obey? Like, will we actually trust Jesus? His hometown friends, Nazareth family, they didn't trust him. And so they went a separate way. So the question is, like, are we just gonna talk about trust? Are we actually going to trust him and follow? Mark chapter six Verses seven through 13. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So let's actually back up to the other half of verse six. Um, if we were just reading this in the Greek, like there's no verse numbers in the original language. There's no like subheadings. All of this is just put together in one writing. And so really we could read it and he, Jesus, went out among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So we see that, that Jesus has a purpose of going to other villages, that Jesus has always had the purpose of taking the hope of the kingdom of God to all people and all places. If you recall back in the beginning, right when Jesus was getting his ministry started, man, it was blowing up. They were in Capernaum and everything was going great. They had people flocking to them, right? The mega church was exploding and, and Peter's like, Jesus, where are you, dude? What are you doing? And Jesus was like off by himself praying. And Peter's like, hey bro, we got people coming to us. Let's get to action. And Jesus says, no, no, we've got to go to the next village. I came to preach the good news to all people in all places. Right? And so Jesus has always had in mind the, the world, that all people in all places would be given the invitation to trust him and follow. And, and praise God for that, right? Because you and I are not living in first century Capernaum. And so it's good news that Jesus had a broader view than, than right there, because we would be on the outside looking in if that were not the case. But he has in mind all people in all places, and so he's going among the villages teaching, but his intention is never that he would do it all on his own, but that he would send his disciples to be his hands and feet, his ambassadors to other people. Jesus never had in mind that he would do it all on his own, which he could have, he's God, right? We gotta remember that, okay, Jesus could do all of this by himself. He only created the the entire universe with a word spoken into existence, like no big deal. He could do this in any way he wanted. He could give individual dreams and visions to every single person, but he has in mind that he will send his disciples to carry out the task that he has of all people in all places knowing and being invited into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, he's doing this and he calls the 12 and he sends them out two by two and he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. The first thing he does is he calls them. He calls his followers. Hey, people, you that are following me, come on. He calls them in. Now, now what I want to emphasize here is that it's Jesus calling them 
not them calling Jesus. And I realize it's like, all right, Captain Obvious, like, <laughs> duh. You know, but, but, but let's, let's be careful. It's, it, it's the familiar that we oftentimes kind of lull to sleep with, right? It's the same songs that we sing over and over that it just becomes karaoke. We're not, because we're so familiar with it. And so we become familiar with the fact that Jesus does the calling. But what that means is Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the king. Jesus sets the direction. The disciples receive it and obey. Not the other way around. Right? I work at Firestone. They're the boss and they tell me how to live. They tell me how to work. I don't show up and be like, hey, no, I'm going to keep this oil cap just a little bit loose because... I'm lazy, like that doesn't work, I lose my job, right? So we have to look at this and go, okay, to be a disciple is to submit our lives to Jesus as king. He calls the shots. And yet the temptation of the devil from Genesis 3 to August 13th, 15th, 15th? Wow. August 15th, 2021. The temptation of the devil from Genesis 3 to August 15th, 2021 is, hey, you can be your own boss. You can call your own shots. Yes, Jesus says this. The, the word says this. But really, what if we read it this way? What if we interpret it this way? What if, it, what if it's really more lax than that? That has been the temptation from Genesis 3 to today. Hey, you know what? You don't have to fully obey God. You can call your own shots. And from Genesis 3 to today, the result of calling our own shots and going our own way is separation from God. Steal, kill, and destroy. That has been the MO of the devil from the beginning. Hey, I want to steal and kill and destroy your life. That, that's what the Bible says. But he's not going to come sit down next to you and go, hey, Donna, I want to destroy your life. You in? No, he's going to say, Donna, you're good. You can do your own thing. It's fine. It's not that big a deal. It's been the temptation from the very beginning. But when we read this, the call to follow Jesus is the call to come and die. Jesus, you are king. What you say goes. If we're gonna follow Jesus, let's be quite candid. What we want doesn't matter. We've decided to follow Jesus. The good thing is that he's leading us to life, but, but at the base level, I am not my own. I, I have surrendered my rights to him. It's not a discussion, like, hey, did you really mean this? Like, but what if, uh, no. Jesus is calling. He is king. He is Lord. The question comes down to, will we trust him and follow? Will we actually trust him and follow? So he calls the disciples, and then he sends them out to continue his mission he sends them out to be a voice to those who don't know of hope yet. He sends them out to be a, lar a light in a dark city, to be, to be salt to a bland and tasteless world. Jesus sends them out as his representatives to the world around them. They are to go and to speak as Jesus speaks and to do as Jesus does. 
That's what he's doing. He's sending them out to make disciples. What, what's interesting, and I think that, you know, what I think happens a lot of times is Jesus sends us and we say, man, I want to pray for these people and I want to pray for God to do something. And God's like, hey, I have done something. I've sent you. Right, like we want to sit there and say, man, like I want to pray for this village, the, these people to know God and Jesus is like, hey, I sent you to go tell them. That's, that is the answer to your own prayer, go. And so Jesus commissions them and sends them out to make disciples of all people. And they're, go, they're to go and proclaim the good news of repentance in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, but they're not just going to to speak, they're going to do. The kingdom of God is in, is in word and in deed, that we are called to proclaim the good news and then to demonstrate the good news with our lives. We are called, like Jesus, to go and to proclaim that the light of the world has come and then to tangibly push out the darkness so that the light of the world can be represented in the world. The, the proclamation of Jesus is both word and deed. It's never just one or the other. I think a lot of times we want to think like, I'll go do good things and that will communicate the gospel. But never does like just feeding the hungry be like, hey, by the way, you're a sinner. Jesus came to die for your sins and he rose from the dead that if you trust in him, you'll have forgiveness of sins and new life. Like at some point that word has to come out of our mouth. And so we see Jesus that he's going to villages and he's proclaiming the good news, but then he's backing that up with his life. He's demonstrating that with his service, with casting out demons, with healing the sick, with bringing the kingdom of God onto earth. And that's what he's sending his disciples to do as well. Hey, go and speak of my name and demonstrate my love to the world around you. Cast out demons, bring healing, bring the light of God. And so Jesus sends them out but then he empowers them to do what he sent them to do. Right, can you imagine being the disciples? They hadn't cast out demons before. They hadn't healed anybody. Like this is all new to them, right? And so Jesus is like, hey, it, it would be like, you know, telling a fish, hey, go, go live on land. It's like, uh, that doesn't work well, right? Like I've never done that before. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, go and do something. And like, well, we've never done that. And he says, it's okay. I'll give you my authority to do that. Like, I will give you my power to cast out demons. I will give you my power to heal the sick. And so Jesus empowers them to do what he tells them to do. So get this, this is mind-blowing. Everything Jesus commands them to do, they are able to do because he gives them his power to do it. There's not a single command that Jesus gives that the disciples or we cannot do because he gives us his ability to do it. He empowers them with his very authority to do just that. And so Jesus, he calls, he sends, and then he empowers them to do what he sent them to do. And he gives us some detail in the instructions that he has for them. In verse eight, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. I think that's the funniest like translation ever. Hey, whenever you get there, stay there until you leave there. 
I, Jesus, yeah, I mean, it surely translated differently in Greek, because I'm like, <laughs> okay. Stay there until you leave there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust to you. Oh, I'm sorry, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. That, that was a, a Jewish custom that when they would enter back home from like a Gentile region, they would shake off the dust basically as like, okay, I'm leaving the bad out. So, so it was just kind of a, and here Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to face acceptance and rejection, right? When you go and share my, my good news, two options will, will come. People will accept it, and when they do, go on in and stay there until you leave, right? Eat with them, stay with them, make yourself at home with them, and share the good news. And if they reject you, it's a very real possibility, okay, move on right? Like, move on. Shake the dust off your feet, close your end of discussion, and move on. You don't have to sit there and be like, well, let's, let's debate this. Let's talk about this. Let's keep going. No, no, it's okay. If they reject you, then it's okay to move on. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to face both responses when you share the good news. Jesus also gives them interesting instructions, and then he says, hey, take nothing with you, basically, right? Like, go with what you have on, don't take a snack. Don't take some bread. Don't take some money to buy food when you get there. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't, like, just, just take your staff and your shoes and the clothes that you have on and, and go. And it's kind of like, all right, what's the, what's the point of this? Like, why these unique instructions? And so as I was, I was studying and, and reading, we came to realize that these are the exact commands that God gave Israel when they fled from Egypt. It, it's the exact instruction. And there's three reasons that, 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 that most assume Jesus means here. One is there's an urgency to the mission. God told Israel, hey, go with what you have on. Don't gather up your stuff. There's an urgency to you going in obedience. And Jesus is telling us today, there's an urgency to the mission that he has given us. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm willing to bet if your spouse or your parents or your neighbors or your coworkers, if somehow you got a vision that tomorrow they would die, I'm willing to bet there would be an extra urgency to our sharing the gospel with them, to our doing good to them. Fair? Like if you knew tomorrow's it for them, it's gonna light an urgency in me. And yet God tells us, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. We have no clue. And so Jesus is telling them, no, no, don't waste time with the things around you. Just go. There's an urgency to this mission. We don't know what's in the future. We don't know what it holds. We're to live with an urgency. But then not only that, we're to live with a lightness. Hebrews 12 says to throw off every sin and every weight which clings so closely that slows us down from running the race of obedience from running the race of faith. God knows, and you and I know, that we have a proclivity to love the things of this world. Right, that we wanna, we wanna hold tightly to, to our things here like this is our final home. And God's like, no, no, this is not our final home. Hold on lightly to the things of this world. Let go lightly. I mean, these things are gonna fade away within months anyways. Grab onto the things of eternal perspective. And so there's a lightness. Man, don't, don't love your extra clothes. 
Really, what good do those have in eternity? And so he's telling us, hold on, hold on loosely to the things of this world. And the third thing is that ultimately he's trying to build a dependence on him. He wants the disciples to have the bare minimum so that they would know his word is enough. So that they would know he is the one that accomplishes it. So that they would know he is able and capable to accomplish what he calls them to do. God's, so remember, Jesus doesn't need the disciples to do this. Right? Jesus doesn't need, he's not like, dang, I am only one man God. I need some people to step up here or I'm not going to be able to accomplish this mission. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. God can accomplish his mission however he wants to accomplish his mission. So there has to be another reason that he sends the disciples other than, well, we're up a creek if you don't. God's primary objective in their life, in our life, is an intimate, loving relationship built on trust. God wants to have a deep, close, trusting relationship with you and with me. That's, that's what it was in the Garden of Eden before sin. It was this perfect, trusting relationship between Adam and Eve and God, and that is his aim. And so he sends them in a task they cannot do on their own. He sends them to do something that is impossible on their own strength, that is bigger than them. And not only that, to leave behind the things of this world that make them feel secure so that that they can grow in their dependence and trust in the God who provides and is able. God, today, right now, is calling you to do things that you cannot do on your own strength. God is calling you to proclaim to people that you cannot convince in your own power. God is calling you to let go of things that we typically hold on to as comfort and as strength because he is wanting you to depend on him. He is wanting you to find something of greater value and worth than the things of this world. He is wanting us to see that he is able to accomplish the task that we are unable to do. Therefore, he is faithful. God tells us to tithe. Why? Is his bank account running low? Right? Is God at risk of running out of money if we don't give our 50 or 100 or $2,000? No, everything's his. So it's not like God's thinking, oh my gosh. Mike, how are we going to run the church if these people don't tithe? Like, God's not scrambling up there, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, bringing in the angels and being like, team, what do we do here? Tithe. We'll tell people to tithe, and then we'll be okay. So if God doesn't need our money, why does he tell us to be generous and give? So that we hold on loosely to the things of the world that typically hold tightly to us, and we see that he is faithful and able because it deepens a trust relationship between us and God. God tells us to go plant a church. (laughs) Never again, God, thank you. Um, Like, can't do this. Why, why does he tell us to do that? So that we see he is faithful. So that when everything seems impossible and it's like, hey, great, year one and a half through three, let's have a global pandemic. That's gonna, like, that was in our plan, you know, and God's like, it's okay, I got you, we're good because he wants to deepen our trust in him because a deeper trust in him is a more intimate relationship with the God of this world. 
God's gonna tell you to move to another country, to take your job and to go move it to another country where the name of Jesus is barely, if ever, spoken. Why? So that you can see, so that you can see his faithfulness. Yes, so that other people can hear, but man, God's locked into you as well. And he wants you to see that he is able and he is good. God's going to call you to walk across the hallway and to share faith with someone that you are petrified to share with. Why? Yes, so they can hear the good news, but also so that your faith and trust in him will deepen. And that is the fullness of life. This is a deep, trusting relationship with God. And so that's why God's like, Jesus says, hey, don't take anything. Like, yes, leave food behind, leave money behind. Yes, without my provision, you will not make it so that they will learn that he is able and that he will provide. And so Jesus, he calls them, hey, you're following me. He sends them. I want you to go with the bare minimum. And then he empowers them with his authority to do what he sends them to do. Now we see their response. Verse 12. I love this. Like, so they went. Just, just stop there for a second. Hey guys, come here. I want y'all to go and to proclaim the good news to the villages to cast out demons and heal the sick, I'll give you the power that you need. So they went. Jesus told them to go, so they went. Let me just say that again. Jesus told them to go, so they went. Jesus told them to go, so they went. That's the relationship of Jesus and his disciples. That's the relationship of following Jesus. Jesus says to go, so they went. Jesus says to jump, so they jump. Jesus says to swim, so they swim. Jesus tells us to go, so we go. That's, that is the nature of a trusting relationship in Jesus. Jesus tells them to go, so they, they went. They obeyed. They followed, and they proclaimed that people should repent. They told people that they should turn away from living for themselves because that's the temptation of the devil, and that's to steal, kill, and destroy. And they said, hey, repent, trust Jesus. He leads you to life. But not only that, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They proclaimed the good news of God, and they demonstrated the good news of God. They obeyed and they went and they walked in the authority and the power that Jesus gave them. They hadn't done this before. What made them confident it would happen? Jesus told them it would. Like they took him at his word and they walked in faith. That's what faith is. It's to take Jesus at his word and to say, Jesus said it, so it's, it's going to happen. Jesus promised it and he's faithful, so it's, gonna, it's going to happen. God, God doesn't lie. God, God, God tells it and it is. If Jesus said we have his authority and his power, then we have his authority and power. Like there's this simplicity that they took Jesus at his word. And so here's the thing. 
Now, I, I was listening, Mike sent us this podcast this week. I loved it. It was an interview with Charles Stanley. He's 88 years old. Like, he's just, he speaks in this slow and deep voice. Where you're like, this guy is wise. Like, he has lived some life. And, and he sums up his life in ministry this way. Trust God and leave the results up to him. Like, just, just obey what he says and leave the results up to him. That simply. If he says this, take him at his word. That's what it is. If he says to go, go. Leave the results up to him. That's what the disciples do here. They have a choice. Jesus says, hey, come on. You need to go and do this. I'll give you my power. At that moment, they have a choice. And at that moment, you and I have a choice. When we read his word, when he tells us, here's the deal. Like, you're here. At this point, it's going to be awkward to get up and leave. But, but now you're hearing the word, so, so you have a choice. Like, we have a choice. Are we going to respond in obedience to him or not? Like, that is the choice for everyone in this room. I need, I need you to hear me and, and let that weight sit on us. We have a choice. Am I going to obey Jesus or not? They had a choice, and so do we. Jesus has called you to be his. And if you're thinking, I don't think he has. I don't know that Jesus has called me. God loves you so much that even though you sinned and walked away, Jesus came to restore your relationship back to God. He lived the perfect life that, that is our requirement for us. He died on the cross so that the record of our sins against God could be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead and in his resurrection he offers us that exchange. He will take our record of sin and give you his record of righteousness and you can be restored to relationship with God. Will you trust him and follow him? There you go. He just called you. That is the truth of the gospel. And by you being here, the invitation has gone. And so we have a choice. Are we going to trust that? Are we going to believe that to be true? Are we going to stake our lives on that? So he's called us, but he's also sent us. In Matthew 28, Jesus, after his resurrection, gathers up the disciples, all of them, and he says that all authority has been given to him and that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, all people in all places, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, Jesus says you are to be, we are to be his witnesses to the world around us. In 2 Corinthians five, he says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and that God is making his appeal through us to the world around us. And so, we're all here, we're all hearing this, God has sent us. We too are like the disciples. We have been sent to make disciples and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The question is, will we obey? That is the decision. Will we obey him or not? We have been called to care for the widow and the orphan. 50%, we prayed for fostering hope this morning at 9 a.m., 
50% of foster families stop in the first year because they don't have enough support, because they, they're exhausted, and they can't even get away for a date because you have to have somebody licensed to come babysit your foster kids. And so they're just exhausted, and they can't, they can't do it. Now, we can pray for those families, and that's good, or we can also realize, dadgummit, God has already told us to go care for them, so his answer is us. We can pray all day long for these foster families to have endurance and perseverance, and we can also say, well, you've called me to care for them, and so I'm either going to actively obey that or I'm going to actively choose not to. That, that's, the, that's what his word says. God tells us to care for the needs of our neighbors, for the needs of those in this body. And so we're actively going to obey that and care for the needs of those around us, or, or we're not. God tells us to love our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us. We have a choice, just like the disciples. Are we going to obey him or not? God tells us to put on humility, to have the same mind among us that is of Christ Jesus. Are we going to be humble or are we not? God tells us to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Are we going to forgive or are we not? Right, we've, we've been given, we've been sent by Jesus to obey his word. The question is, will we obey him and do it? Here's the great thing though, y'all. God has given us his power and authority to do it. In Romans 8, it says that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. If we have faith in Christ, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the church would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power at work in us. So the fact that the spirit of the perfect savior lives in us means that we have everything we need to obey perfectly what God calls us to do. He has given us everything we need. We can't say we're unable. We, we have to say I chose not to. Because in faith, God has given us the spirit of God to accomplish the purpose he's called us to. He's not going to tell you to love your enemy if it's impossible for you to do that. He's going to give you his power to love your enemy. It's just a matter of if we will obey or not. I mean, I, just, I was thinking about this, right? We've talked about this a lot because following Christ doesn't mean everything's going to be great. Jesus was persecuted. We're going to be persecuted. Jesus suffered. We're going to suffer. But it doesn't have to come at our own hands. Right? Are you, are you with me? The, the suffering and the hurt of this broken world and of broken people, it's, it's going, but we are responsible for ourselves. We can walk in obedience by the power of the Spirit of God in us. I've had an angst and a restlessness um, about this sermon because, because I think that we have been subtly lulled into complacency in, in the Western American church. I think that we, 
are smart and we know what the Bible says, but we ab we're able to self-justify why, oh, that doesn't apply to us or why we're not able to or why it's okay if it's a little gray. And I think that the devil has lulled us into a complacency, into a, you know, flippancy about sin. And by sin, I just mean either the active sin or just the passive not doing what God tells us to do. Both, both are sin. And I think we wonder, like, man, why? there's got to be more. It seems like there was more in the Bible. We see it, we read about it, we hear about it, and, and I just think God's like, yeah, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll, you'll encounter that. You'll see my power at work in you and through you. But I think for me, my problem, I think our problem in, in the, the Western church is that we just like, I, I don't think I believe that I have the power of God to heal. Even though his word tells me that his spirit lives in me, the spirit that can heal. I'm like, no, that was just, that's for then. I, I think that we've been lulled into a complacency and a lack of faith. And so I, what I sense God saying here to, to me and, and to us is that he has called us, he has sent us, and he has empowered us. Will we take him at his word and trust and obey? That's the question that we're going to take some time and wrestle with God about. Because I know that he's called us. I know that he's sent us. I know that he's empowered us. And I also know there's probably ways that we're like, I don't want to obey. And he's just saying, come on, trust me. It's good. It's worth it. It's right. Trust me. Will we trust him? Will we obey? Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.